Um, keep that open in front of you. I'd love for you to scribble over those handouts. Um, that'll help you to stay engaged. Um, quick poll to get started. Who's seen the movie The Bucket List? No one. Kate's seen it. Is it on Netflix? Uh, I don't know. Good question. So, let me describe it to you. you this might be on your viewing list. Um, I think it's fairly safe to suggest that one to see. Um, I'm going in my mind going, yes, I'm fairly sure it's clean. Uh, in the 2007 movie, The Bucket List, uh, Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman play two ageing men uh, trying to find as much happiness as they can before they kick the bucket, before they die, right? Uh, and they realise it's not going to be too long till they kick the bucket... And so they go off, they travel around the world, uh, they go skydiving, they drive vintage cars around a California speedway, they visit the North Pole, Mount Everest, the Taj Mahal, they ride motorbikes along the Great Wall of China, they go on safaris in East Africa, they eat at the very best restaurants in the world, all while taking every step that they can to ensure extreme and extravagant comforts. But despite all of their efforts, they end up miserable and, of course, they still die. <laughs> and it's a fun movie because we see people putting to test what we wish that we could do. Because, uh, you see, the truth be told, we'd all love to do what they did. We all have a list of stuff that we'd love to do before we die. I know that I do. Uh, you've been sharing with each other what's on your list. Uh, maybe if you're a musician, you're hoping to perform a gig somewhere in particular or to travel to an amazing part of the world. You mentioned that. Uh, maybe you want to get married, have kids, buy a dog, live in New York, sing on stage in France, tour Europe, or just uh, land a job in the QSO. Uh, maybe you want to have a best-selling game one day. <laughs> Welcome, Dan, the QCA student. <laughs> Uh, but you know what? Uh, what the guys in the Bucket List movie found uh, is just what the teacher in Ecclesiastes writes about in chapter 2. Uh, though the teacher took it to the extremest of extremes. Uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes discovered that when we spend our lives chasing pleasure, ticking things off our bucket list, we won't actually find what we're looking for. Uh, we won't find happiness in pleasure. And we won't find it in a successful career either. Uh, the truth is, even when you get what you want, when you tick the items off your bucket list, you're still left experiencing the blahness of life. Life in the blah. And so if you want true, deep, lasting happiness, richness and meaning, and if you're wondering how to find them, if you want life beyond the blah then you do well to pay attention to what the teacher in Ecclesiastes has to say. And we're going to be spending some time there today. Now, I've got three points today. Uh, the futility of pleasure, the futility of work, and the surpassing value of life in Jesus. So please do keep those handouts in front of you. Scribble all over them. Take notes. Draw pictures. Uh, stay engaged. Uh, make sure you stay with me as we work through the text. Uh, so come with me to my first point, the futility of pleasure. Now, at the start of today's passage, the teacher tells us that he's going to conduct his little experiment. He's going to spend some time 
chasing pleasure. Uh, You see it in verse 1. Verse 1, have a look there again of chapter 2, verse 1. I said to myself, go ahead, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy what is good. But it turned out to be futile. I said about laughter, it's madness, and about pleasure, what does this accomplish? I explored with my mind the pull of wine in my body, my mind still guiding me with wisdom, and how to grasp folly until I could see what is good for people to do under the sun, sorry, under heaven during the few days of their lives. Now make no mistake, the teacher's decided he is going to tick things off his bucket list. He says to himself, I'm going to try this pleasure thing out. I'm going to enjoy what's good. The teacher's going to treat yourself with all the very best. But did you notice he already spoiled the ending in verse 1, the end of verse 1? But it turned out to be what? Futile. (laughs) He spoiled it just as he was getting started. What happens when you treat yourself? Well, you find out it's pointless. You do it, but then it quickly disappears like fog on a cold Brisbane morning. Who saw the fog yesterday morning? Who saw it an hour later? It was there one minute and then it was gone. That's what this futile world word means remember we looked at this last week it's misty it's something that that exists and quickly is gone and he says that chasing pleasure is just like that (coughs) but it sounds so good check it out with me from verse four verse four i increased my achievements i built houses i planted vineyards for myself i made gardens and parks for myself and i planted every kind of fruit tree in them i constructed reservoirs for myself from which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees I acquired male and female servants and had slaves born in my house. I also owned livestock, large herds and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself and many concubines, the delights of men. Now, I hope you'll notice in this list that it's mostly pretty good stuff. He builds and he plants, he makes gardens and parks, he works with herds and flocks, he makes money. But it's not all above board. Uh, In verse 8, hopefully you notice this when we read through it, he gathers female singers, okay, kind of weird. But then he gathers concubines, the delights of men. Not so good. Now the word for concubine is literally slang for a woman's breasts. This is not a flattering way to describe women. And so make no mistake, he's saying, oh yeah, and by the way, I got some sex slaves. I used these women for their bodies and exploited them for pleasure. He does, in other words, what many people, mostly male, fantasise about doing. He does whatever he wants with someone else's body without bothering with marriage. And he thinks that this is good. And other people looking on think that it's good too. And so in verse 9, we read, So I became great, and I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. All that my eyes desired, I didn't deny them. I didn't refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles, and this was my reward for all my struggles. He almost starts to sound by this point like he thinks he deserves it, doesn't he? But then, despite all of his efforts, it doesn't work out for him. He still doesn't get what he's looking for. Verse 11, 
when I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had laboured to achieve, I found everything to be futile and a pursuit of the winds. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. So when he stands back and reflects on all the pleasures he's enjoyed, all the things he's crossed off his bucket list, he realises it's been pointless. It's been futile. It's been useless. Like a dog spinning in a circle, chasing its tail. There is nothing to be gained under the sun. Uh, Speaking of bucket lists, I made a bit of a list when I was younger uh, of all the things that I wanted to do before I die. Uh, But the problem is for me, uh, I'm in my early 40s, in case you're wondering, and I've crossed most of the things off my list already. So I've I've been on safaris in East Africa. I spent a month hiking through the snow-capped mountains in the Himalayas. I've snorkeled off the islands of Thailand. I spent Christmas sleeping in a beach hut and sipping milk out of fresh coconuts on the distant island of Zanzibar. True story. I've enjoyed massive ocean swims with dolphins spinning around me. I've completed half Ironmans and run marathons and century bike rides, all the stuff that I wanted to do. Musically, I've bought the guitar of my dreams. Uh, I've played on stage in front of thousands of people at the Brisbane Convention Centre. I had a gig at what used to be Sydney's most exclusive jazz venue, The Basements. I got married to a wonderful woman with two kids. I bought a house with koalas at the end of our streets. I've got a great job and I live in sunny Queensland. And despite all of those things, I still regularly experience loneliness, depression, anxiety, frustration and the dreariness of life in the blah. So I keep discovering that whenever you cross something off your bucket list, you cross something off up the top, and then you just add a new line down the bottom. (laughs) And that list never actually gets any shorter. Because the pleasure's never as good as you hope it will be, and it doesn't actually last. Friends, what the teacher's telling us, and what many of us discover in practice, is that chasing pleasure, it doesn't work. Whether you do or don't cross stuff off your bucket list doesn't actually matter because pleasure doesn't deliver. Now, how is this sitting with you? (laughs) Just to be the bearer of good news. Uh, Are there things that you're tempted to think, if I could just do that, I'd be happy? Well, the teachers run that experiment for you already And he can save you the time and effort. And he says, it's futile. You see, the problem is the teacher wants all the very best that the world has to offer, but without reference to the God who made it. He wants what some have described as the joys of the kingdom, but without the king of the kingdom. And that, the kingdom without the king, it just doesn't work. But the teacher's experiment isn't over yet. He's going to try some other things. Which brings me to the second point. Uh, We've already seen the futility of pleasure. So come with me to my second point now, the futility of work. Uh, The teacher's tried finding meaning in pleasure, but he's struck out, had no luck. And so next off the rank is trying to find pleasure in his work. Which, dear students... It's what I imagine that many of you guys are tempted to do (laughs) because you're artists. 
your musicians, your creative students. You don't necessarily do what you do in order to get a paycheck. <laughs> you do what you do because you love it, because you're good at it, because your artistry gives you pleasure. Yeah. And so listen up. And let's see where chasing that satisfaction that comes from work will get you. Pick it up with me from verse 12. Verse 12, Then I turn to consider wisdom, madness and folly. For what will the king's successor be like? He will do what has already been done. And I realise that there is an advantage to wisdom over folly like the advantage of light over darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. But yet... I also knew that one fate comes to them both. And so I said to myself, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why then have I been overly wise? And I said to myself that this also is futile, misty. For just like the fool, there is no lasting remembrance of the wise, since in the days to come, both will be forgotten. How is it that the wise person dies just like the fool? Therefore I hated life. Because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me. For everything is futile, hey Lucas, and a pursuit of the winds. The teacher works hard to become wise. But what does he discover? He discovers whether you're wise or a fool, or even just plain mad and crazy, it doesn't matter. The same thing happens to you in the ends. Verse 15, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why then have I been overly wise? It's pointless. If he were alive today, maybe he'd say, why did I bother getting my bachelor's degree at university? Why did I do that honours year? It was totally pointless. And so he ends up in verse 17 saying, I hated life because the work that's done under the sun was distressing to me. For everything's futile, a pursuit of the winds. Ouch. <laughs> but if you think that's strong, look what he says next. Verse 18. I hated all my work that I laboured at under the sun because I must leave it to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he'll be wise or a fool. Yet he'll take over all my work that I laboured at skillfully under the sun. This too, it's futile. And so I began to give myself over to despair concerning all my work that I had laboured out under the sun. When there is a person whose work was done with wisdom, knowledge and skill and he must give his portion to a person who has not worked for it, this too is futile and a great wrong. For what does a person get with all his work and all his efforts that he labours out under the sun? For all his days are filled with grief and his occupation is sorrowful even at night, his mind doesn't rest. This too is futile. Anyone heard of the TV show uh, Succession? It's a bit grimy. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. Uh, but the whole premise of the show is there's an incredibly successful business owner, one of the world's most rich and successful entrepreneurs, a guy kind of like the, you know, the Bezos or the, uh, who's the guy, uh, Steve Jobs, Right? One of the kind of founders of a massively famous, rich and successful company. And the whole world knows his name. But the problem is he's past retirement age. He's in his 80s. He's getting old and crusty. He's losing his mind. He's no longer equipped to take the business forward in a changing world. But his kids, 
although all of them are grown up and adults and all of them want to take over his company, they're all not looking like a good option to pass the business on to. And so he doesn't want to retire. One of his kids is a recovering drug addict. Another is a clown who cannot get his life together. Another is incredibly aspirational, but all in the wrong ways to actually take the company to the next step. And so this whole show is about the struggle of what a father should do when he's had such a successful career, an incredibly successful history of work, but he's got three dropkicks who are clamoring to take over, and in any one of them he can see how they would ruin it all, and it would all be for nothing. Well, the teacher's experiencing the same thing. He's worked hard, but when he looks back on it all, he hates it. Verse 18. It's such strong language. Because he has to leave it to someone else after him. And who knows whether his successor will be a wise, will be a wise or a fool. Uh, I bumped into one of my lecturers from my uh, music degree in the foyer not all that long ago, just in here, through these glass doors. Uh, he taught composition where I studied uh, my Bachelor of Music. And I asked him what he was up to, and he said he was here overseeing some master's composition students. And I asked him, you know, how's it going? He's like, oh, it's all right. He said it wasn't as good as when he was doing his composing work and when he was playing more. But the problem is he's getting old, and he, his hands are such that he can't really do what he wants to do on the guitar anymore. And he feels like his mind is not fully up to composing anymore. And he kind of, feel, kind of feels like he's contributed what he wants to contribute anyway. And so now he just needs to do a little bit of work to pay the bills. It's a bit sad, isn't it? World-class academic, just needing to do a bit of work to pay the bills. Similar thing happened with my old uh, teacher uh, at uni who taught me guitar, so I did jazz guitar as my major. Uh, he's no longer doing much guitar anymore. He's turned to audio engineering. Why? Same reason as the other guy. His hands are giving out. <laughs> His ears are going. He's just getting old and crusty. Now, friends, it doesn't matter how hard you work. One day it'll all be over. One, one day your fingers won't wrap around your instrument anymore. One day you won't be able to sit at a computer desk anymore, right? It doesn't matter how hard you work. One day you'll have to give it up and it'll hand it on to someone else. Your hands or your body will give out or your mind will give out and you'll no longer be able to do it. I know it doesn't feel like this when you're as young as you guys are, but the older you get, the more you realise that this is true. And sometimes it comes for us early. And you may end up saying what the teacher says in verse 22. For what does a person get with all his work and all his efforts that he labours at under the sun? For all his days are filled with grief and his occupation is sorrowful. Even at night his mind doesn't rest and this too is futile. Now, I don't know how that's sitting with you. You might feel like that's a long way from your experience right now. But it sounds really sad, doesn't it? And by this point in the passage, the teacher is clutching at straws. He's found pleasure and work both to be pointless. And so he's kind of looking around and going, is there anything good? Is there anything, literally anything, that I can hold on to to be happy? And so we get to verses 24 to 26. But as we read it, let me just say, many people say that this paragraph, this is a nice little example of the conclusion of the teacher of Ecclesiastes. This is what it looks like for us to apply the words of the teacher. But you know what? I don't buy it. Why? Because the teacher doesn't buy it either. 
Read it with me. Verse 24. There is nothing better for a person than to eat, drink and enjoy his work. I have seen that even this is from God's hand because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? For the per- To the person who is pleasing in his sight, he gives wisdom, knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and accumulating in order to give to the one who is pleasing in God's sight. And how does he finish? This too is futile and a pursuit of the winds. In light of all, the, all he's seen, the teacher says we should just eat, drink and enjoy our work. It's a gift from God's hand because God gives pleasure. So when we're enjoying something, just enjoy it. That sounds good, doesn't it? Just eat, drink and enjoy your work. What's the problem with that? The problem is the end of verse 26 where the teacher says that even doing that, enjoying food and drink and your work, even that is pointless. That's where he lands at the end. This too is futile and a pursuit of the winds. He's not saying, oh, so after all that, I realise you should just try and be happy each day. He's saying, no, even that, useless, pointless. If this really was what the teacher wanted us to get out of his teaching, he would finish by saying, actually, even eating, drinking, enjoying is the best that we can do, rather than I found that those two are pointless. The teacher isn't endorsing some wholesome enjoyment of the good life as a way through life's challenges. He's clutching at straws. He's attempting to salvage some mangled piece from the wreckage of human existence. But what he pulls from the wreckage doesn't really give him any hope. Ouch. And so is that it. (laughs) Life sucks and then you die. Is that the take-home message? Well, thankfully, no, because the teacher doesn't know the whole story. He doesn't know about Jesus. Now, look, we've seen the futility of chasing pleasure, the futility of chasing work and satisfaction in a career. But come with me now to my final point, the surpassing value of life in Christ. Now, this this isn't going to be a long point, but it's the most important one. Uh, The writer of Ecclesiastes didn't know as much as we know. He didn't know about the coming of the Lord Jesus. He didn't know that Jesus would die, that Jesus would rise again. He didn't know that Jesus would conquer both the power of death and the blahness of a meaningless life. Uh, When Jesus died, it looked like his life had been pointless but then death didn't have the final word. And absolute futility is no longer the depressing ending, the full stop to the story. Because by his resurrection, Jesus showed that the grave was not the ultimate end that the teacher in Ecclesiastes thought it was. Humans killed Jesus, but Jesus killed death. And with the opening of his tomb, eternal life has been opened to us all. You see, in the end, the teacher in Ecclesiastes didn't know how Jesus makes it possible to find surpassing value in both life and in work. So in your handouts, there's a New Testament passage there. So turn over to 1 Corinthians 15 now. Uh, 
And have a look at how Paul expresses this in 1 Corinthians 15 from verse 50. There he writes, at the start of that 1 Corinthians passage, What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Which, by the way, that's all the teacher in Ecclesiastes knew. But keep reading. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility. And this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, then this mortal body is clothed with immortality. Then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So death makes a mockery of everyone. But Jesus makes a mockery of death. So that means that when you know Jesus, life's not utterly futile or chasing after the winds, but instead we find purpose, meaning and hope. The resurrection means that death isn't the final word Death has lost its sting, sting, and so what we do in this life matters. Knowing Jesus is the most significant thing that any person can do in life. But with Jesus comes not just a brighter hope for the future, but a new kind of work now, the work of the Lord. Have a look with me in verse 58, that last verse in Corinthians. Verse 58, Therefore... My dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Not in vain, get it? There's a kind of work that's not futile, that's not misty, that's not temporary, exists at one moment and then gone the next. The work of the Lord, the Lord's work work that's done for the Lord's sake and in the cause of his kingdom. The work of the Lord partakes of the power of the resurrection and the life of the world to come, precisely because it's not our work, but God's work. And to the extent that we are engaged in the work of the Lord, in whatever form it is, we can be sure that that at least is not futile. For in the work of the Lord... The future, in which there is no longer any futility, is already breaking into this life. That's why Paul writes that line in Philippians 3 that you've got in your handouts. More than that, I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. The surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You see, the surpassing value, what a great way to describe it. The teacher in Ecclesiastes couldn't even dream of this. And yet, with the coming of Jesus, that surpassing value is available to all, to me and to you. So, friends, let me me finish up with some application before we wrap up today. We all want a happy life, right? We all want a happy life. 
We all want meaning and to value. We all want a rich experience of life in this world. But you know what? You won't find happiness by chasing happiness. You won't, you'll only find happiness by chasing Jesus. If you pursue, pursue Jesus, you get relationship with him and forgiveness and eternal life. But you also get surpassing joy and the meaningful value of living for him and being involved in his work, the work of the Lord. If you chase happiness and meaningful work apart from Jesus, you won't find them, not in any lasting way. Maybe for a minute it'll be there, but then like a mist, it'll be gone. But if you pursue Jesus, you get both surpassing joy and purposeful work. Uh, at this point each week, I often address non-Christians uh, and then add some other stuff for Christians. But truth be told, all of us need to hear the same thing today, <laughs> whether you are a believer or not. All of us, whether you trust in Jesus or not, we are all tempted to find and pursue happiness and meaning apart from Jesus. And so all of us need to hear that we won't find it. It might look like for a while we've found it, but just like the teacher, at some point, we'll slump into misery and realise it's all been pointless. Nothing but blah. Without Jesus, enjoying anything in this life is like a prisoner on death row enjoying his last meal and cigarette, right? I find that a really potent image. It's like, oh, what a wonderful meal. This is amazing. This is going to change my life. Bang, you're gone. That's what chasing pleasure is like in this life. Any satisfaction we have will quickly disappear. It's transitory, pointless, useless. But with Jesus, we find surpassing joy and meaningful work. So let me make this super clear for artists, right? You won't find happiness by becoming a better musician. You won't experience your deepest joy in your crafting, be it games design or painting, sculpting, drawing, playing, or any other kind of creative pursuits. But you will find happiness and you will find deep and lasting joy if you pursue Jesus, if you live your life for him, if you do your work for him, then and only then will you experience the joy that comes from excelling at your crafts in relationship with him and for the sake of his glory. So many of us pursue artistry because we think it'll give us what we're looking for. It'll fulfill our longings, but it won't. Only Jesus brings us joy and value and gives us, gives what we do, uh, anything beyond a temporary significance. And then in relationship with him, our artistry, our work can be done for him. And it becomes something that gives us joy. But that joy is almost an afterthought. The natural flow on from a life lived in relationship with Jesus. If you chase happiness, you won't find happiness. You chase Jesus. Happiness comes afterwards as an afterthought. Uh, let me finish with a quote from Renoir, the uh, great Impressionist artist. He said this a few months before he died. Uh, I feel I am still making some progress. 
I'm beginning to get to know how to paint. It's taken me 50 years of work to get this far, but there's still a lot more to do. And then he died. I guess Renoir never found what he was looking for. Have you? Surpassing value and lasting joy are only found in Christ. So have you found life beyond the blood? Let me pray.